following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, one last time uh, as we wrap up. A great look at what faith is from uh, this very famous passage on faith. So let's read from this morning from uh, Hebrews 11:28 through 40. Hebrews 11:28 through 40. By faith he that is Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same thing, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains, in in dens and caves on the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Um, you know, I don't know what kind of background or tradition you came from or uh, how you experience faith. Um, and as we've been talking through this series, um, oftentimes you know, we hear these stories and you read Hebrews chapter 11 and you hear about shutting the mouths of lions and you know, quenching the fire and conquering the enemies. And we're like, yeah, I want that kind of faith. But maybe in the outworking of it and the practice of it, you uh, feel like that's really never characterized you. You feel that way? And it's like, what's missing in my life? Where am I failing that I can't have faith? And I've titled this uh, message, Faith That Overcomes. And I really believe that all faith always overcomes. But, <laughs> but, uh, but faith does that in two different ways. And I remember as a kid uh, growing up in a church where I didn't really see a lot of what I would characterize as overcoming faith. Um, 
And partly because in, in, in the church tradition I grew up in, they really didn't believe God was really capable, I don't think, of doing anything miraculous. Like all of that kind of ended with the, the Bible times and that, um, you know, if you wanted to see answer to prayer, then you only prayed for things that you knew were humanly possible and that pretty much you could do without God's help. And so uh, I just never saw him modeled a lot praying for healing or praying for uh, things that I would consider to be kind of overcoming the enemy kind of prayer. Uh, so uh, that was kind of my, my upbringing. And I remember one, one day in church, uh, this guy pulls up in this big van uh, and uh, kind of this customized van and out he comes out of the back of the van in a wheelchair. And he wheels himself up into the church and he had this crew of people with him and I grew up in the 60s, and so he was not only crippled, but he was also a hippie, and somebody somehow loosely connected with the Jesus freak thing, and um, and this was not our church, okay? This was like rocking the foundations of our church, and he came, and he uh, started attending our church, and he was praying for and believing and asking the church to pray with him that God would heal him, and he'd been in a car accident, and that's why he was uh, paraplegic, and so he was convinced that he could have the faith and that God was able to heal him. So I remember our church was kind of rocking the boat for them, right? And uh, they they never done this, but uh, they they prayed for him and uh, prayed for him for a long time. Many weeks and months went by, and he never walked. And I remember thinking as a kid, I was probably 9 or 10 years old, watching all this kind of unfold. And for one, I felt really a lot of compassion for this poor guy because I thought that would be hard thing to, to be confined to a wheelchair and have to live life that way. And so I was rooting for this guy. And in my nine-year-old, I think in many ways I, I had a better faith then because I hadn't been corrupted with the idol of science right? that says those things aren't possible. And I think as a ten-year-old, I believe, yeah, God can do this, absolutely, right? And so I remember having this faith and I remember praying for this guy that, that he would stand up and walk. But it didn't happen. And so, uh, you know, I wrestled even as, as a 10-year-old. Does this mean God just doesn't do this anymore? Or was it a problem that we didn't have enough faith, that there was something defective in our faith? And maybe that's how you feel, that, uh, you know, you've prayed for God to do things, you've prayed for God to work in very specific ways, and you believed you had faith, and you were trusting God, and, and it, it just didn't happen. So the question is, you know, was, is there something wrong with my faith? Do I need to do something more to have enough faith to see God work and do those kind of things. Or maybe God just doesn't do that anymore and we shouldn't even bother praying for the miraculous, praying for the impossible. Let's just trust God to do what what we could do without his help. (laughs) Um, I think both of those paths have have flaws and are wrong. And I think they're both misunderstandings of what faith really is. Uh, So we want to look today at these these verses in in Hebrew as we we wrap off this uh, teaching on faith. And I think, uh, I hope that what we come away with is a sense that faith can do way more than we probably believe God can do. That faith really can overcome any and every obstacle and enemy in our life. But also, that sometimes faith overcomes in ways different than what we may expect. And sometimes the overcoming work of faith is not in our circumstances, but it's in our heart and in our life. So let's look at this. uh, So kind of two main headings. We're going to look at how faith that can conquer any enemy. And then we're going to also look at another way that faith overcomes towards the end. Um, But first, let's start off by the faith that conquers any and every enemy. 
Um, and I think sometimes we limit God by only trusting him to do what, honestly, we could do without his help. <laughs> right? And that's really not faith. As you look through these accounts of what he talks about here, these people are experiencing incredible miracles in their life, things that are humanly impossible and that they could not do. And as you look through actually the whole chapter, we'll go back and pick up a little bit on the last four accounts with Moses and Rahab. We will see that that God moves in incredible ways in their lives. And I believe that God still wants to do that. And he is able to defeat any and every kind of enemy. Nothing is impossible for God. And you read through this account and you see uh, God really doing just some incredible things. Um, And he starts off, uh, he says, time doesn't even allow for us to really talk about all the things that God could do and did in the Old Testament. So I don't have time to write. And we could go on and on talking about. But he he highlights a few. He says there's, um, looking back, he says there's there's Moses, there's, uh, uh, he says, what shall I say? Uh, Time would fail me to tell Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah. Those were all judges. People who lived during the time of the judges before the monarchy before the king came. And then he talks about David and Samuel. Uh, David, of course, the first, well, the second king, but the first real king, the one who really was a man after God's own heart, who saw God work in incredible ways, from slaying slaying Goliath to uh, building uh, and establishing Israel as a nation in in the land of Canaan, extending its borders from the wilderness of Egypt to the um, um, Euphrates River. Right, and really bringing peace for Israel. Um, through, and, he, and he says that through them and through, and through the... He ends with Samuel and the prophets. Samuel actually lived before David. But Samuel is a, a transition person. He was the last of the judges. But the first of the prophets, of the tradition of the prophets. And much of the examples and accounts he talks about later uh, relate to the lives of the prophets. And of course, after David and the monarchy, Israel did not always follow God. But there was always a faithful remnant. And in that faithful remnant were these crazy people called the prophets right, who followed God and who went out proclaiming God's will and God's truth to the people. And they saw some amazing things uh, done. So when he takes this whole group together, he said they, they, they saw things like, like uh, conquered kingdoms. Right? Faith conquered kingdoms. Faith established justice. Talking about the rule of David and some of his descendants um, that obtained the promises. And one of the great promises that was that God would give them Canaan, would give them the promised land. And they saw that promise fulfilled. Um, stop the mouths of lions. We think of Daniel, thrown into the lion's den. Hungry lions, right? Um, now either, well, the miracle is that the lions did not eat Daniel, right? God stopped their, the mouths. Uh, quench the fire, uh, Daniel's buddies thrown into a fiery furnace and they did not burn up. And it was so fiery that those throwing them in were consumed by the fire. But they were protected. Okay, these are humanly impossible things. But these are things that are incredible miracles that they saw accomplished by faith. Um, became, the weak were made strong. They became mighty in war. Foreign armies put to flight. And we think of, uh, of David and others who put foreign uh, armies to flight. But one of my favorite stories of putting foreign enemies to flight was actually Elisha. And Elisha was uh, a prophet in northern Israel. And the Syrians were trying to invade and kept trying to attack uh, Israel. 
And Elisha would go to the king and he would tell them what the king of Syria was going to do over and over and over again so that they could move and, and de- adjust their defenses so that the Syrians couldn't attack them. And finally, the, the king of Syria said, or king of Syria said, who's been, you know, who's, who's leaking information? You need to find this guy out and kill them. And his advisor came and said, nobody's leaking information. It's that pesky Elisha. He keeps telling him what we're going to do because he's a prophet of God. So he said, okay, take the army and I want you to go and, and get this guy and kill him, right? He's, he's, he's wrecking our plan. So they send the whole army and here's this prophet guy, right? He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have a he didn't have a stick. I mean, he's just a prophet, just a Bible teacher. Right? And they go to his house, and they're going to arrest him, and they're going to do away with Elisha. And they come to him, this whole army of the Syrian army, and, God, and, and in faith, Elisha prays that God would strike them blind. And it wasn't the blindness where they couldn't see, but they just didn't see what was going on. And Elisha went out to them, and they didn't see him. They didn't perceive who he was. And he said, what do you want? And they said, we're looking for Elisha. And he says, oh, it's kind of a Jedi thing. Oh, the man you're looking for is not here. <laughs> right? Follow me. And so the whole army follows him and they march to the, the, the fortress of the king of Israel and they march right into the fortress. And then he says, you know, waves his magic Jedi wand and poof, they all see. And they see that they're in the hands of their enemies, surrounded in their own fortress. And the king says, what should I do with these guys? Should I kill them? And Elisha says, no, let's feed them dinner. Let's have a party. So they kill the fatted lambs and they have a party and they celebrate together and they send them home, right? That is cool stuff, right? That is cool stuff. I want to do stuff like that, right? Don't you? I want to live a kind of life that has that kind of faith. Well, uh, the list goes on. They, they, did, they did amazing things. So uh, why don't we see these kind of things happening in our life, right? What did they have about their faith that was unique or that perhaps we're missing. Well, as you look at uh, the lives, and if we were to go through all the scripture, but looking specifically through the accounts listed here in Hebrews 11, you see that there's really three things that were common about their practice of faith. And there may be a lot more to it. I don't want to oversimplify it that there's only three things, but I want to. Uh, but it's clear that there was a pattern of three things that were true in, in each of these examples. Let's go back up and we're going to look at four examples from verses 28 to 31 that we, we haven't looked at yet, where they, they illustrate these three practices of faith. Right? And they're, they're simply this. The first practice, or first you could call them keys of faith, is that they listen to God. In every account, they listen to God and they heard God speaking. Uh, and this is so different than how we often perceive what faith is. In my own life, this is how faith often works for me. I run into a problem, I have a difficulty, I have a struggle in my life, and I come up with this brilliant idea of how I think God should fix it. Right? I have my ideas of what I want God to do, and so I go to God in prayer, and I know that somehow you know, faith is asking and faith is praying. So I pray and I ask God, and I tell God, God, you need to do this. Right? And I, I'm going to muster up faith, and if I get enough faith, then you're going to do what I tell you to do. And that's kind of what I observed in my church growing up. This guy said, I, I can't walk, and, and I, I think God needs to heal me, and so I'm going to tell God what he needs to do, and if we have enough faith, God will comply with my will and my plans. That is not faith. Okay? God wants to save, and God wants to work in your life. God wants to remove obstacles and deal with our struggles in incredible ways. But guess what? 
God's actually pretty good at this, and he has, believe it or not, his own ideas. Who would have guessed, right? That God has thoughts and plans and purposes about how he wants to work out his saving work and purpose in our life. He has ideas of his own. And the first step of faith is not imposing on God what I think he needs to do. But the first step of faith is seeking God and listening and discovering what he wants to do. And we see that, and we'll see it in a minute, the examples of that. second thing is that as they seek God and as they listen to what God wants to do, we find God uh, speaking instructions. And in every case, uh, faith demonstrates itself in instant and complete obedience. In every case, these people did exactly what God told them to. And sometimes God told them to do some, to do some incredibly ridiculous things or irrelevant things that had... It's like, God, this isn't going to work. This has got nothing to do with the problem. Didn't matter. They uh, instantly and completely did exactly what God called them to. Faith requires obedience on our part. That's the second thing. Third thing is after they did their part, after they followed instructions, they waited for God to do what only God could do. Right? They waited. They didn't say, okay, I did my little plan now. Now I'm going to jump in there and I'm going to do something to make this happen. No, they simply waited for God to show up and do what he would do. So let's look at these four examples and see if um, we can see how, uh, how they did this. First one, verse 28. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Right, so they're still in Egypt uh, of course, this is at the end, the final plague of the ten plagues of Egypt. Uh, and Moses has been uh, urging Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And uh, Pharaoh has been very resistant and stubborn. And so the last plague is that uh, God is going to send uh, a death angel. And he is going to take the life of every firstborn of every household in Egypt. And notice what Moses does not do. Moses does not go to God and say, God, we need a vaccine, Right? You've got to send us a shipment of vaccines so we can vaccinate our children. Right? Um, Moses doesn't have a plan. In fact, Moses doesn't even know what's going to happen yet. He doesn't know the, what the last plague is going to uh, be about until God reveals it to him. And God reveals how he is going to use this last plague to secure their freedom and finally Pharaoh will release them. And along with the plans of how he's going to do this by killing uh, the firstborn of the Egyptians, he instructs Moses what he needs to do to protect the firstborn of Israel. And of course, what they need to do is go kill a lamb, take the blood, and paint the doorframe of their house. Now, if you're Moses, you might be thinking, uh, that's just kind of weird. Okay, you have to take a lamb, kill it, take the blood, and paint our doorframe with the blood. Okay, I don't get it, right? But, but, but Moses does not ask questions. Right? He doesn't question God. He doesn't say, I don't, I don't see the relevance of this. I don't get the point of this. No, he simply instructs uh, the people to obey with what God instructed them to do. And the people in faith also did exactly as Moses instructed. And they killed the lamb and they had a Passover dinner. Uh, the roots of what we celebrate in communion trace back to that very feast. And they took the blood and they painted the doorframe. 
And when the death angel came, it saw the blood of the substitute. Right? It saw the blood of a lamb that was killed in the place of the firstborn. And it's, it teaches a principle that's true throughout Scripture and in the New Testament that there can be a substitute that when a life is required that the blood of another can stand in the place of that one as a substitute and, and death will pass over. Death will pass by. Um, uh, this is a great passage when we think about our own children and grandchildren about our desire and heart to protect them. Right? Do you feel the urgency, the need to protect your children, uh, to protect your grandchildren? I do. And I, I see the world around us and I see the things that kids today have to deal with and the craziness of a world that's gone off, that's just jumped off the moral cliff. I mean, we've abandoned morals. We've, as a, as a society, have abandoned truth. Uh, a, a world that's moving farther and farther away from God and mocking uh, everything that we believe and hold dear. How do you protect your kids from all the messages and all the worldview that they are submerged in? Um, well, we might have our plans, right? We might have our ideas of what we need to do to put our kids in a bubble, to protect them and insulate and isolate them from all these corrupt ideas and influences. And so maybe we do that. Maybe we labor and do everything we can to protect our children, both from physical harm as well as spiritual dangers that are around them. Uh, but to do that is to not walk in faith, right? What we need to do is, is, first of all, we need to seek God's plan, right? Does God have thoughts and ideas about how to protect our children from the world? Well, he might. <laughs> he just might have an idea or two, right? Might it be good to consult him? It might, right? It might be good to say, God... I don't know everything that you know, and I don't know all the ways that Satan can throw fiery darts at my children. I don't know all the ways that God can, that Satan can twist uh, thoughts and, and the way he will invade them with his lies. And what's more, if we're honest, we have to come to know and understand we can never protect our kids. Right? You are not Superman or Supermom enough to do that. Right? You cannot be the, sh- the, the, the force field uh, the force shields is, that's going to protect your kids. Right? We need to seek God and say, God, what is your plan? Your plan is to save our children. Your, your plan is to, is to bring salvation and rescue. Your plan is to protect. Right? How are you going to do this and seek Him? And I believe that God will give specific instructions and direction on how that will work. Uh, and some things we know because He's revealed it in Scripture. Uh, we need to love our children. We need to raise them up in the nurture and fear of the Lord. We need to teach them the word. We need to mentor, mentor and disciple our children and reassure and affirm our love for them. Uh, those are things that build in them the kind of foundation that helps them resist all the junk in the world. We need to spend time with our kids. And we need to invest in their lives. But beyond that, as you seek God, God may give you very specific things that he asks you to do uh, to protect your children and you need to do those things maybe it's to pray over them at night or to pray over a blessing over them when they go out in the morning um, I don't know what God will specifically lead you but he will give you specific things right? because he he has a plan and it matters what his plan is uh, and then thirdly and this is the hard part 
We need to do what? What's step number three? Panic and worry and be super, you know, mom, helicopter mom, right? Isn't that it? Oh, no, 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 no. That was not it. It's what? Wait for God to do what God will do. Wait for God to do what God will do. The reality is, whether it's our kids, our grandkids, our friends, us, God alone can do what's required and necessary to save them. Right? It will take a supernatural act of Almighty God by His Holy Spirit to save and protect and rescue your children from the world we live in. And honestly, there's nothing you can do in human strength and your power to stop uh, the plans that Satan has for your family. Right? So we need to wait on God. We need to trust that He is going to work out His plan in our lives, in our family, in our kids' life, in our grandkids' lives. Right? Um, and we wait for him to work. Second example, uh, through the Red Sea. Verse 29, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they tried it, were drowned. I like this one. So Pharaoh finally lets the people go. Moses leads them out into the wilderness, and they, God leads them right to this huge, massive uh, barrier, the Red Sea, right? Not, not a little lake. This is a sizable, sizable uh, lake, possibly even a inland part of the ocean. We don't know exactly where it was, but this was not an, uh, this was not something you're just going to walk around, right? To make matters worse, uh, e, uh, Pharaoh decided he didn't like this idea. He starts chasing them with the army. He wants to drag them back to Egypt. So they've got the enemy pursuing them from behind and this massive obstacle ahead of them, right? What does Moses do? Moses says, I got this, God. I know, I, know, I know it will work, okay? We'll make a floating bridge and we'll lay out that floating bridge and we'll walk across it, right? Or maybe you can give us like shovels and we'll just shovel our way through the lake, right? Stupid ideas, right? Um, and Moses does not go to God with his idea and his plan and say, God, you know, you need to provide the wood so we can build this floating bridge, no, he seeks God's plan. And God says, I've got, wait, wait, see what I'm going to do, right? Forget the floating bridge. I'm just going to part the water. And your part, Moses, is to hold out your staff and just part the water. And the people's job was to walk through, which was also an act of faith, right? Think about this. Moses parts the water. The whole lake, massive lake, splits in two. And there's these, it says the water was piled up on both sides, Right? Are you going to walk down into the middle of all that? <laughs> like, that's faith, right? How long is it going to be before this whole magic trick fails and the water returns and we become guppies, right? But they had faith and they walked out through the lake, right? Um, Egyptians tried it as well, but guess what? Their faith was not as strong <laughs> and it didn't work for them. And it says they were literally swallowed by the lake. Okay, so, same thing. Moses listens to God. God, what do you want me to do? What is your solution for this problem? There's this massive obstacle ahead of us. We don't know how to get around it or through it or over it. What's your plan? And, and when God gives clear and specific instructions, he does exactly what God says, and they walk out into this lake. And, and they wait to see what God does, and God works and moves. And not only does he save them, but he destroys their enemies. Um, you know, what obstacle is, is in front of you right now that's preventing you from going forward. 
What in your life is, is the barrier that right now you are bumping up against that has just got you stuck? Um, how are you dealing with it? Right? Are you telling God what he needs to do to solve it for you because you've got better ideas than him? Like, this is me. right? This, I'm not talking to you. This is me. This is what I do. I'm good at this. God, I got this figured out. I know what you need to do. Right? And the reality is that some of us, not all of us, but some of us love to fix things. Some of us by nature are fixers and problem solvers. Right? And, and, I, and we're good at this. Like, we'll fix our own problems. We'll fix everybody else's problems. Just come ask me. I'll tell you what you need to do. Because we love to solve people's problems. And so problems come into our life and we're just naturally bent to, I'm going to fix this. I've got ideas, right? I'm going to solve this. I'm going to work this out. We'll make a way, right? Red Sea, no big deal. We'll, we'll come up with hovercrafts, and we're going to come up with something, right? But we're not really walking in faith when we do that. The only faith we have is faith in my wisdom and my human ability to solve the problems. That's not walking and living in faith, right? We need to stop and pause and seek God and say, God, what, what, are, what is your plan here? What do you want to do to bring about your salvation in your way, in your time, by your power? And the great thing is, when they got to the other side of the lake, nobody was going, wow, Moses, you were awesome. Did you? I mean, you like did that thing with the rod, and whew, wow, like you were cool. Is that what they were saying? No, they were, knowing, they were saying, man, God is amazing. Right? The glory went to God, because nobody was saying Moses did that. That they knew that this was beyond what anybody could do. God wants to be glorified in your life. And I'm, I hate to break this to you, but he is not going to be glorified in your life by how good you are at solving problems. <laughs> you might be glorified, but God's not. Okay? He will be glorified in our life when he shows his power to save and accomplish and do things his way. Right? Are we waiting on him? I remember, I'm so bad at this. I just wanted uh, thousands of examples I could tell. I remember one time uh, we had to get our, it's time to renew our visa and we had to come up with the, you know, 1,900 baht per, per visa and I didn't have any money. I had zero money, none. I didn't have 10 baht, right? And so, you know, we're going to the office and I think, what am I going to do? And so what do I do? Well, I come up with my own plan, right? Do I stop and seek God and ask God what his plan is? No, I have my own plan. And I get out my, my credit card and I go to the ATM machine and I take money out I don't have, which is the magic of credit cards, right? And I get the money and, and we go to the immigration office and as we're getting our, you know, they want your passport. So we're digging out our passports and Denise digs out her passport and out of her passport falls money. I don't remember even now how many thousand bot bills, but thousand bot bills were just falling out of her passport. Like, see, God had a plan. Uh, she's, she hides money everywhere. This happens often for us. <laughs> so, uh, but God has a plan. And I, but I, I kind of missed it because I wasn't seeking him and trusting him. I was trusting me. Okay, next one. Uh, my favorite one of, of all of these three. Um, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. I really like this one. So they finally get through the wilderness, get through the Red Sea, 40 years, kind of a few detours along the way. They end up at, at Canaan, and uh, Moses has died. Now Joshua's in charge. He's commander-in-chief, and they, they march into uh, Canaan, and uh, the first obstacle before them is the city of Jericho. And 
And, and for this case, God's already made it clear uh, way, way back, even with Moses, and even back to Abraham, the promise. The promise was that God was going to give this land to Israel. So Joshua didn't really need to like go and pray and seek God so much on this one. He just needed to read the promises. And the promise was clear and had been repeated over and over that uh, God was going to give them this land. And he, not only that, but that God was going to drive out before them their enemies. That God was going to push them and drive them out and destroy them. So, so, so Joshua has the opportunity now to walk in faith and live that out. Uh, but he doesn't just say, okay, God's going to drive them out. We're just going to go charging against Jericho. We're just going to throw ourselves against that massive stone wall, and God's going to just drive them out. No, he, he also stops, even though he knows these clear and specific promises. He stops and he seeks God. He says, okay, God, what do you want us to do? I know you're going to give us the city. I believe that. But, but how? What do you want us to do to take this city? Build battering ramps? Are we going to get some catapults? Are we going to get some dynamite. I mean, what's, what's the plan here? And I love what God, God, so he listens and God gives very clear, specific instructions. He says, I want you to go, I want you to go down to that seat and I want you to just walk around it, walk around it. You're just going to march around it once for seven days in a row. And I'm sure uh, Joshua's thinking, okay, there's a city, there's a big wall, we want to destroy it. Okay, give the plan to me one more time, right? I think I missed something here. He says, no, I want you to just go there and walk around the wall. Okay, well, that's what we'll do then. And, and so he listens, he gets the instructions from God, and he obeys even, even though it just seems so ridiculous. So ridiculous. And who knows what kind of insults people were hurling at them as they walked around the city once in silence, just walking around, right? But then on the seventh day, what happens? They walk around the city. They follow the instructions. They give a loud shout. And what happens? Well, they waited on God for God to do something. And God did something only God can do. The walls just fall down. Right? They just collapse on their own. Boom. Gone. Right? Uh, and again, it, nobody said, wow, Joshua, that was cool. That was clearly God who did that. Um, what, what in your life, or maybe put it this way, what person in your life uh, is a Jericho, right? Person or situation you're dealing with where, there, where you are just meeting with these massive walls of stone resistance. Right? Uh, maybe it's somebody that you're trying to share the gospel with. You have such a burden, you feel like God's called you to be sharing the gospel with this people or people group, and it's, you're just meeting with resistance. It's just a stone wall. Right? There, there is no give. There is no penetrating that barrier. Maybe it's somebody that you're in relationship with. Maybe it's a spouse or a co-worker or your children who are just a massive fortress of stone that is resisting you at every turn. Right? How do you deal with that? Uh, maybe you're like me and what you do is you just throw yourself at that wall. You're going to batter that wall. You're going to be the, the human battering ram and you're going to batter that down that resistance, right? Either through your charm or your, 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 your brains or your convincing arguments, right? You are going to break through that resistance on your own. And what happens when you do that? Well, mostly you just end up coming away pretty bruised and battered. Uh, not to mention, you know, the, the damage you may cause in the relationship. Uh, what should you do? Well... What are the three steps? 
seek God. God, what do you want me to do? Right? What do you want me to do in this situation? Um, lead me. Right? See what he says. Um, secondly, do what he says. Right? Do what he says. And, and thirdly, wait for God to do what only God can do. I remember uh, just recently, uh, Denise and I got a, a, another foster child, seven-year-old, who you've maybe seen us running around with, came from a very difficult background and past. And, uh, and so she came to us very wounded and very afraid. And the first few days were pretty tough uh, because she was, she was a Jericho. I mean, she was just resistant and, and a lot of, because she was afraid, uh, but resistant. And she did not want to be at our house. And she made that very clear. She did not want to be with us. And, uh, and, and she just, you could just see the, this impenetrable fortress that she had, she had encircled herself in. And uh, it was a little painful because, you know, you, you feel for her. You want her to feel happy. And, and there was just nothing we could seem to do to, to break through. So I, I felt like, God, what, what should I do? And we prayed, and, and I just felt like God saying, just show up and be there, right? Just kind of like Jericho. Just show up and just walk, around, just walk around the wall, right? Just be a presence there. So I started doing that. I'd just follow her around. I'd sit down by her, and, and she couldn't get away from me. I just kept haunting her. Right? And uh, I didn't say anything. I just was a, tried to be a presence there, right? And one day she had been uh, actually at Kashara's house, which she likes. She loved Kashara. <laughs> she would have loved to live with Kashara, not us. It wasn't an option. So she'd been at Kashara's house. She came home, and it just kind of made it ten times worse because she was like, I want to be there. I don't want to be here. And so she had just really shut down. And she was a fortress. But just trying to be there, just show up, just walk, just march around the wall, right? Be a presence. And praying that God would break that down. And, and, and we're eating dinner and just... Um, <clears throat> poof! It's like a, it's like a somebody flipped a switch, and she just started talking, and I mean, she started talking. She hasn't shut up since. <laughs> she just went up. She just started talking, telling, telling us everything. It's like the wall came down, you know, and she started to open up her heart. But it was something that God did, right? It was something God did. Last one, <clears throat> uh, Rahab. Uh, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Real quick on this one. Uh, you know the story. She was a resident of Jericho. Um, amazing thing about her is there's some, she's got some strikes against her. First, she is a Canaanite. Right? She's the people that are going to be pushed out. Right? She's not an Israelite. She's not a child of Abraham. She's a Gentile. Secondly, she's the enemy, and she's the enemy residing in Jericho, in the city they're trying to destroy. Thirdly, so, so two strikes against her that she's not one of the people of God. But thirdly, even in her own culture, she's, she's the bottom rung. Right? She's a prostitute. Right? She, she's not a good person, a moral upright. She's not the mayor. She's not like some moral up, upstanding citizen. She's a prostitute. Can God help people like her? And this is really the most beautiful story of the four because the message here is that faith is not for super spiritual people. Like you could read about Abraham and Noah and Moses and you could think, well, you know, faith is for like really godly people who have their life together who are leaders, who are spiritual, you know, like together. But I'm not that person. Like I'm a person with a history and a past and problems. 
Well, Rahab is our hero, right? Because faith works for her just as much as it worked for Moses and Abraham. Right? She listened to God. Uh, now, I don't know that she prayed, but she was pretty perceptive and she saw what God was doing through the Israelites. And she saw that they were coming and she knew that God's purpose and plan was to destroy Jericho and to drive out the nations before Israel and that God was going to give this to his people, this land to the Israelites. And so she knew what God's plan was. Uh, and she did what she knew was right. Right? She welcomed the spies. She helped them. She, uh, she did the right thing as much as she knew. She was obedient in what she knew. And when the spies left, she said, will you spare my family? And they said, yeah, but here's the deal. You need to take a red cord and tie it from your window out the wall so, so it'll be visible. And you must not leave your house. And you must gather everyone you want to be saved. And she was obedient to those things. And then she waited for God to do what only God can do. And this is amazing. God brought down the whole wall of Jericho everywhere around the whole city except for one sliver. And it was the place where her house was sitting. Right? God saved her because of her faith. Not because of her goodness. Not because she was an Israelite. Not because she deserved it. That's an important lesson in faith. God works through faith, not because you or I deserve it or because we're worthy. And, and here's the thing. Faith does not grow because you pray more or because you read your Bible more or because you get more spiritual. Right? That is not the basis of faith. The basis of faith is God's character and His faithfulness and our reliance and dependence on Him. That's the, the lesson of Rahab. Praise God that... Um, Jesus is our great Passover lamb. And, and he calls us by faith to apply the blood of the Passover lamb to the doorposts of our heart and life. Um, when God comes and when he sees the blood, he responds to us differently, not because of us, but because he sees the blood of Jesus applied to our life. That's why we can trust God, because he sees Jesus. He sees the work of Christ in our place. Right? So we, like Rahab, have a, a background and a history and a past, and we do not deserve God's help. It is by grace through the blood of Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's how this faith thing works, right? And there is no enemy that God cannot conquer or destroy or overcome. But the flip side of this passage, and we're out of time, so we'll close with this, is that God faith always overcomes. But it does not always overcome by bringing victory over your enemies. Notice the rest of the passage, right? Uh, others, well, some women received back their, their dead by resurrection, but some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better resurrection. I want to be that guy, right? <laughs> Let me be tortured as a martyr. Oh, wait. No, I don't want that, right? Um, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. He's talking about here living out a life of faith. Okay? Their faith resulted in floggings and tortures and mockings and imprisonment. Right? They did not see their enemies conquered. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Okay, don't go too long there, but there are some of the prophets, and, and later between the Bible times uh, during the Maccabean period where there were prophets of God who were literally drawn uh, 
stretched out and sawn in two. That's what their faith got them. (laughs) Ouch. Um, They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitutes and afflicted. Wearing the sheep of a goat means you're poor, right? You're poor, you're destitute, afflicted, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All, all of these, okay, this is the whole list from, from Abel um, down to the last prophet who was martyred. All of these, though, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So here's the principle. Um, sometimes faith conquers by this, by giving us the, in, the patience to endure. So here's the deal. When you pray... And you, you're trusting God and, and, and you do those things and, and, you've, and, and God does not work. God does not conquer the way we think he should. Right? What faith will do for you is it will give you the power to endure. And that is also part of the overcoming work of faith. Uh, we need to do those three things. right? If you're not listening, seeking God, listening to his instruction, if you're not obeying, if you're not waiting on him, okay, you're not practicing faith. But if you're doing things, that, those three things and nothing is happening, guess what you get to do? You get to just keep on waiting. And faith is the power that gives you the endurance to keep on waiting. And the reason that is, is that faith looks forward. Right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the proof or evidence of things not seen. And what they all did, they did not receive the promise, but they knew it was coming. Right? And he goes on and he tells us that that the promise has come in our day. He says, uh, since God has provided something better for us, uh, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The the promise was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. So they didn't see it, but they looked forward to it. We are recipients. We are the ones who are perfected by Jesus. Um, So here's how faith works for us, right? We, we have Jesus. We have, in many ways, more of the promises. But even for us, not everything is done yet. Jesus' final salvation gets carried out at the end when Jesus returns. So just like the prophets of old, we must look to the final reality of the future. That guy I saw in my church as a boy who could not walk, um, God's promise did not fail him. One day he will walk. One day he will walk. One day he will live for eternity with a whole new body and he will not be in that wheelchair anymore. God's promises do not fail, but sometimes we have to wait a really long time. (laughs) And so we have to endure. Paul puts it this way in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He says there is suffering, right? We need to be prepared by faith to endure suffering. But he says, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient and temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Right? If you're not getting the answer to prayer, by faith, look to the future to see that all of God's promises will be fulfilled. 
that God will answer. He will work out his perfect salvation right, in eternity. But in the meantime, it may mean we do not always get the answers to prayer we want. But faith calls us to endure. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.